All right, Colin, how's it going today? It's good. This is a little bit different, though. I feel like maybe I'm in the hot yeah. seat today. <laughs> That's right. We've got a bonus episode today that I think we'll post to our Wannabe Angels podcast and also the Rideshare Guy podcast because we're doing a, a mix, a special episode talking to you about your experience at Outdoorsy and building that marketplace and sort of how it relates to Rideshare and Uber and Lyft and everything like that. Sound good? Sounds like a great plan to me. Let's do it. All right. Cool. Well, I'm going to read your bio now. So Colin Gardner is a startup and tech entrepreneur who thinks about everything through an economic lens. He's an expert in digital marketplaces and platforms with a love for all things growth, monetization, analytics, and strategy. He has worked as an early employee at Outdoorsy, Romely, Tripping.com, Just Answer, and Ancestry.com. Within these companies, he has played critical executive roles, helping raise over $200 million and taken multiple to over $1 billion in gross revenue. He currently runs a marketplace and startup advisory business helping founders grow and optimize their businesses. He also runs Yonder.vc, which is a syndicate focused on funding pre-seed, seed, and Series A marketplace startups. And last but not least, he's also my co-host for our new podcast, Wannabe Angels, which, you know, we'll obviously uh, spend some time, a uh, couple minutes talking about the end. Sound good? How are you, Colin? I'm good. I think uh, I need to update my bio probably to hit that one of the angels right the first thing there, right? Probably the most important thing about me. Eh, I don't know about first thing, maybe the last thing. I kind of ad-libbed it and added it for you, but we won't bore the audience with our lack of knowledge of angel investing <laughs> for now. For now, let's talk about something that you actually know well. So what is uh, Outdoorsy for those who may not know? Yeah. So Outdoorsy, uh, most recent marketplace I worked at, but Outdoorsy is you know, very much like Airbnb for RVs, right? Um, you can go there if you have an RV, list it for rent, and then someone can come in and rent it from you. Uh, that's the, the whole premise on it. It's, you know, in some sense, Airbnb on wheels, right? And it's a, it's a nice mix between like mm -hmm. rideshare and home sharing. So it's got a little bit of facets of both of those. Yeah. It's sort of like Uber meets Airbnb. How did you guys describe Outdoorsy most commonly? Airbnb and wheels? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, I don't think that wasn't like quite the tagline, but the, yeah, we, we really more <laughs> towards the Airbnb element. They do, you know, people do drive them around, right? More often than not, they're yeah. stationary. So people rent them, take them to a campground, mm -hmm. park them in their driveway, find a plot of land, you know, so they're really more of like the accommodation part. They just happen to be on wheels as well. But there are, there are two types, right? So one gotcha. is your your motorized vehicle. Like, you know, you drive it literally with the steering mm -hmm. wheel, you know, the big class A's or whatever the Winnebago's on the road. And then there's the trailers that, you know, ones that you tow behind and those don't actually drive. So just mm. different assets on the same platform, but, you know, very different behavior. Yeah, I guess that's a good point for those who may not be RV experts. So an RV, <laughs> what does that stand for? Recreational vehicle? You got it. You nailed it. And so an RV, that could be one, like a Winnebago that you drive and that's where people sleep. Are there, mul and there's multiple types of RVs or is a trailer a type of RV? Yeah. So there's essentially motorized and towable. Those are the two types of RVs. So like a, a camper van would be in the motorized segment or like the giant ones that you see going down mm -hmm. the road. That's considered motorized. Yeah. And then a trailer would be like an Airstream. Considered a trailer. Mm -hmm. And those you tow behind a But are the motorized ones, are they RVs? Is that what? Is that what you would call They're them? RVs. RVs and then are trailers also RVs? Okay. Trailers are yeah. also RVs. Mm -hmm. 
Got it. Okay, cool. Just wanted to get my terminology <laughs> out of the way. So yeah, so I mean, I think kind of I like the way of describing it. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, it really is, you know, it's less Uber, you know, kind of driving people around and more renting, you know, an Airbnb that happens to be on wheels, right? But obviously, that vehicle component, you know, is pretty important, because, you know, you have to worry about like vehicle expenses and things like that. So are, are there a lot of indiv talk about the marketplace for a little bit? Are there a lot of individual owners? on Outdoorsy that are renting their vehicles to customers? Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's interesting about it. I'd say it's probably more similar to Turo and Airbnb mix mm -hmm. than it yeah. is probably Uber because there's no driver that comes with it typically. But yeah. yeah, so it's a lot of individuals in the United States own RVs. I think it's roughly one in six, one in seven households owns an RV in the United States. So it's massive. Oh, wow. And a lot of those, you know, sit between the coasts, not just, you know, that's where they are. And so, yeah, a lot of individuals, you know, they'll have a loan on their vehicle and they don't want to be underwater on it anymore. So they'll start renting it out because most people have two weeks of vacation. They use it maybe mm -hmm. two weeks out of the year. And then the rest of the time, sit and fallow. And so that's the value prop. Yeah. You put it on the platform. Other people take it out, rent it. You can pay your mortgage. You can do whatever you want on it. And so that's the concept. But there are also professionals uh, similar to like Uber, you know, there are like people that rent out like fleets of uh, cars to drivers and things like that. There's a very similar mm -hmm. concept in outdoorsy as well. The pros. Yeah. Got it. And yeah, because I feel like a lot of times marketplaces, right, like Uber and, you know, even Airbnb for sure, right, kind of starts, you know, the initial idea is kind of pitched as like, hey, you know, you've got this RV, it sits there, you know, for a few or most 50 out of 52 weeks and, you know, rent it in your downtime and then you start doing it and it's kind of good here and there, but like it seems like a majority of the volume ends up happening, you know, like Uber, right, 10 to 20 or sorry, 20% of, you know, drivers are full time, 40, 50 hours a week or more and they make up 50 to 60% of the rides on the platform. Airbnb, it's like, you know, every time you rent an Airbnb, you see they've got like multiple listings. And, you know, I'm no fan of Airbnb, to be honest, but, um, <laughs> the, you know, it's like kind of more power owners, renters. Is that sort of what Outdoorsy has gravitated towards also? Yeah, I mean, I think marketplace principle-wise, marketplace is professionalized over time. And so that's just like mm -hmm. a core principle of it is that, you know, people aggregate on the supply side deliver a more standardized experience and higher quality experience, like, you know, more hotel-like in yeah. some sense, right? And so pretty common that like across yeah. all peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces, they return to the power sellers largely. Mm. Yeah. Well, actually that's a, that's a good point. I've never heard of that term professionalize over time, but that definitely is a good way to put it. And I feel like it kind of goes against though, what a lot of these companies, you know, what a lot, I mean, I guess we'll talk marketplaces for a second, since you're the marketplace expert. I mean, it kind of <laughs> goes against what a lot of these companies initially pitch, right? Like let's throw Uber under the bus for a second, right? Like they're like, <laughs> Hey, you know, this is part-time come do it and earn a few bucks. They're not like advertising, Hey, come work 50, hours a week, bust your ass off and, you know, make $25, $20 an hour as full-time, but we don't have to pay you like a full-time employee, right? Even though that ends up kind of like what you said, professionalizing. So how do you think about that kind of transition for marketplaces? Is it just sort of inevitable and ultimate and you should kind of, you know, keep, do you, do you think it's sort of like, I guess, what's the word? Do you think it's kind of like a pretense that everyone just sort of knows what it's actually like, but doesn't admit it? Or do you think I'm wrong? I mean, I think there's always an element of the marketing side selling the dream, right? And then in reality, what mm -hmm. happens is there are people that can actually deliver, right? And those are the people that professionalize. So I think that's the core concept to me is that, you know, you're going to have high churn on your supply side. Like it's just, and it's not a bad thing. It's mm -hmm. just a good thing. You're going to churn into the good supply, yeah. which is the people that can provide liquidity, right? Like, and those people are the people that work crazy hours and do all the rides and everything and they make the money, right? 
And it's the same thing on Airbnb, everyone yeah. else. It's this, whoever can do it and provide the liquidity is going to win. But in reality, they still need to keep the top of the funnel going. So the marketing side of it is going to have to speak to that dream, that vision mm -hmm. of, you know, part-time or whatever gets people enticed to come sign up. Gotcha. So, you know, yeah. one of the reasons I, why I really wanted to talk to you about Outdoorsy, because I really like these sort of studying adjacent verticals. Like, I don't know anything about RVs clearly, but, you know, it's a vehicle marketplace on wheels, right? And, you know, sort of like we talked about. So, I mean, what's what are some things that you sort of learn about marketplaces, you know, from your time at Outdoorsy that might apply to other, you know, probably related marketplaces like Uber and Lyft being a good one or other vehicle marketplaces, maybe car sharing, you know, sort of like these adjacent marketplaces, what's something that you think you picked up that, you know, maybe others didn't pick up on in your experience? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that we really focused on, or at least was a really key part of getting the marketplace going was insurance, you know, mm -hmm. just by virtue of vehicles being on the road and like the law, you have to have liability insurance. And so that was this really got drilled into my head that a lot of marketplaces have this concept of what creates liquidity for the marketplace, like what has to be true for someone mm -hmm. to be able to use it, right? And insurance, you know, in the RV space and, you know, the car sharing space generally just had to happen. Like you had to either bring your own liability insurance or you had to provide it in the process. And that, I think that was the kind of lesson I learned for a lot of marketplaces is there's these like liquidity services that if you don't have them will really constrain you longer term. Like, and that you should embrace trying to get those things, whether they're regulated or unregulated financing, whatever it may be, you know, embracing those early and trying to work with those people like that was something that I learned really heavily. And we, we did look back quite a bit on the Uber, Lyft, Airbnb experience where, you know, they grew fast, but they kind of didn't listen to the regulators. They didn't take them, you know, acknowledge them up front. It was just kind of like, you know, they'll adapt to us. Mm -hmm. I think that was something we did a little bit differently. I played nicely there and tried to work with the system to get a better outcome more quickly. And I think that like, I don't know, that was something I learned and I think is a, a smart way to go. But also that most marketplaces need to think through really hard is like, it isn't just sufficient to bring buyers and sellers online, right? Like you need to yeah. be able to make sure that you can make the transaction happen and what needs to be true to do that. And in the case of vehicle marketplaces, insurance, and you know, insurance is huge for Uber and Lyft as well, right? Overall, that was something yeah. I learned and learned from watching them, honestly, how to do it different. Interesting that you mentioned insurance. It's probably the number one topic whenever I meet a new rideshare startup or a new fleet and, you know, whether I'm doing a consulting call with them or whatever. And like, whenever I ask them what's like their main focus or what's their challenge or what do they need help with? It's always insurance. And I actually have a great partner in the insurance space. I've had on my podcast a couple of times, Ed Walker from Hub, and he's great. And honestly, I most of the time just like send them to him and don't have to do anything when it comes to insurance. <laughs> so tell me more like what, when, you, when you're at Outdoors, what was the specific insurance issues that you guys had to deal with or navigate? I imagine that if I'm an owner, I've got personal insurance on my RV and now I'm listing it on this marketplace, which is technically for hire, which I'm guessing, you know, personal insurance doesn't like, right? Or is technically, mm -hmm. you know, now if it gets into an accident, my personal insurance isn't going to cover it because I was doing for hire, right? So either outdoorsy would have to cover that or, you know, no one would cover it and I'd be screwed as a, as a renter, as a, as an owner, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you nailed it, right? Like personal insurance is not commercial insurance, right? And it says you shouldn't use the asset that you're insuring for business uses, right? And so that was the thing that yep. we identified pretty quickly. It was like, well, if we want the supply side to come on and you know a high quantity and really this is like mm -hmm. any kind of asset 
you need to provide them a solution that protects the asset. And know that, and that isn't sufficient though, because you do protect it during the rental period, but technically you are still using it for commercial purposes. And so your insurance could drop you. So Romley, one of the companies you mentioned in my bio, is a company that we spun out of Outdoorsy that basically built an insurance product for people that own RVs that allowed them to rent. So it was like a replacement for their personal insurance hmm. um, that allowed them to have personal what coverage and rent. Romley, R-O-A-M-L-Y. And you know, I think I, this gets back to like what we learned about playing nicely, right? in the space and trying to innovate is that if you can work with insurance companies and you can bring it to them as like a, an option and a solution and have data behind it and not force them into it, you can have really good outcomes. Because today mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft don't own their own insurance company, right? They still go to everybody else to underwrite it, right? And yeah. I think that is an interesting like historical change that could have happened if they had been mm -hmm thinking a little bit differently rather than just straight up disruption, which is awesome in certain ways and beautiful to see, but also has outcomes that are not so good. Got it. Yeah, no, there's definitely, I would say there actually hasn't been enough talk about the fact that, you know, Uber is spending $4 billion a year on insurance and all of the major carriers are kind of, you know, dropping them uh, left and right. And like insurance is like this huge issue. I, I just recorded a bunch of videos for like our top seven articles on the website that are probably going to get viewed by millions of people. And the gist was basically like as a driver, whether you're doing rideshare or food delivery, you're incentivized to drive as fast and as crazy as possible. I mean, if you've got a passenger in the car, you have to kind of within reason, but especially on delivery, right? You're trying to go from one point to the next as quickly as possible because you get paid. If you do more jobs per hour, you get paid for more, right? So not only are they, you know, like kind of, you know, not rewarding drivers, but they're literally like doing the opposite, right? Is which usually you want to reward drivers for safe, safe driving, safe behavior, right? On the insurance side, but they're literally doing the opposite and kind of wondering why we're spending billions of dollars, why they're spending billions of dollars on insurance costs. Kind of funny. Not funny, but yeah, a little funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, platform incentivization is like super important to the loss runs on the back end, right? I mean, if you, yeah. I think caring about the insurance outcome, right? And ultimately about your supply side, right? Like their safety, all these things can lead to lower insurance costs, right? And that ultimately leads to lower premiums, which means yeah. the lower pricing to the demand side. Like there's a virtuous cycle here of playing, like actually optimizing for this. And, you know, I, I know that some of that happens, right? Because there's a lot of overlap and people that underwrite insurance in the sharing economy. But like, you know, I think that was something that Outdoorsy did really well. It was a, a big focus. And, you know, I think overall, it's just something I've learned working in startups is like, how do you kind of weaponize your cost centers and turn them into profit centers for you? Like, I think that's like a really interesting mm -hmm. area of opportunity is that, you know, if you can make insurance a profit center rather than a you know, cost center, you then focus on it and it becomes a core advantage and a key part of your business that differentiates you. So I think like with all these things, it's, there's just really interesting ways to do it if you care about it and you make it a core focus. But if your core ethos, like, you know, is just speed, speed, speed and volume, that's going to have, you know, consequences yeah. in other places. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is a, I don't know if it's famous, but I feel like that is a tried and true business principle, right? I don't know if it was Amazon or whoever, you know, first coined the term or the sort of saying, right, to turn your cost centers into businesses or opportunities, right? I don't know if it was Amazon, but I'm assuming, you know, AWS or shipping or whatever. It was like stuff we're spending a ton of money on. Let's just do it ourselves and do it better. Was there anything else? I mean, insurance is a good one, to be honest, because I imagine it's like up there in the top two or three costs that you guys 
guys had at Outdoorsy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think for like most vehicle sharing marketplaces or you know ride share sharing, like insurance is just one of the biggest costs overall, right? I think the other big thing I've learned mm-hmm. about marketplaces, having built a couple and specifically around Outdoorsy, is that you know it's it's vitally important to have this like organically driven business, right? You, like if you spend all your mm-hmm. time like going out and paying for customers and acquiring them, it's going to be very hard to be successful over time. And so whatever you can do to get, you know, yourself up to 60, 80% of your traffic coming organically direct or word of mouth, like, the more successful mm-hmm. you're going to be. And so I think that's always something that like Uber did well, right. Is like, they just, they were top of mind. They were like rolled off the tongue for when you wanted to do this. As I think about it, the same for Airbnb, yeah. like if you look at these classic marketplaces, like people talked about them. They became a bourbon of themselves, right? I'm going to go Uber. I'm going to go Airbnb, something like, and so that, that is taught me how important branding is in all of this. And it's like, it doesn't matter at the small Mm -hmm. stage. And then it really matters later. And so anyway, that's a big lesson for me is that just branding overall can create these really awesome outcomes, but they take a lot of time and energy to build. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the nice things, I guess, for a company like Uber is that it was sort of high frequency, right? You might take mm-hmm. one or two rides a week or a few over a weekend. With something like Airbnb or Outdoorsy, if you're only renting an RV once or twice a week, what did you sort of do to, you know, kind of spread the word and stay top of mind? Yeah. Well, so before I tell you about Outdoorsy, I think one of the really interesting things that I learned just watching the scooter and the rideshare space is they provided like native advertising like scooters having like lime or bird mm. written on it and the setting on a street corner was basically free billboard advertising. Mm. Like these native marketing channels are just yeah. brilliant, right? And then the, the mustache and lift, the Uber yeah. with their light up sticker, like that's just free advertising, right? It's like high leverage. And so I always stress with like marketplaces yeah. and when I'm talking to them, it's like, how do you come up with this native marketing channel? Like, what is that? Like, how do you, like, how do you leverage mm. that? How do you get your supply to market for you um, in some way? Like, I don't know if you're familiar or whatnot. They're like a QVC type marketplace, but it's essentially the supply side can go live video mm-hmm. and sell their product, right? So they just mm-hmm. do like live video streams and they sell whatever they're selling. And so they have a ton of different verticals, you know, com- yeah. you know, competing directly with eBay and things like that. And so that was one of the things I learned is like, how do you build like native marketing channels and like really leverage those? Cause they're super awesome. And, you know, in like a lot of ways, like for outdoorsy, like yeah, I came no. through in referral, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I actually like that term native marketing. And it kind of reminds me of the fact that, you know, a lot of these companies, almost all of these companies would never give out swag or anything kind of simple to their rideshare or delivery drivers. Like Lyft would give you a jacket that you would have to do a thousand trips or something, you know, kind of like a high threshold, right? And it was, it would have been like great free marketing, right? If like every Postmates or Uber Eats driver is, you know, walking around with, you know, the brand on their shirt. And, you know, a lot of these guys like want it, like sometimes you're making and delivery and it like looks a little shady if you're like going up to someone's house and you know you're just like you know dressed in shorts and a t-shirt right so there's also like practical purposes why some of this is useful but then for the kind of branding and marketing and then of course you know people might wear it around town right and you know kind of want to rep you someone sees you wearing it and they say hey do you work for uber eats or you know have you delivered for them and you know it kind of just adds to that i feel like a lot of the kind of gig companies i don't know some of them are doing it now but i think uh, that native marketing channel has been overlooked yeah, I, you know, one thing I got the other day that I was like, this company is brilliant. I think it was Sweet Greens. We got Uber Eats delivered, you know, Sweet mm-hmm. Green salad. And then in there, there was a coupon thing to go direct to them, right? Uh, like a discount, like, oh, go to the Sweet yeah. Greens app. And I was like, this is a perfect example of like leveraging like the channel or whatever it is to like drive your marketing. Yeah. Um, and I, and there is that moment between when they like, 
you see your driver pull up with your food and they come to your door and there really is no branding there like in a lot of ways like i like i think there's opportunity too to like really like do more there but it is hard when you have a you know essentially i think probably a lot of yeah. reason they want to give them uniforms in some sense is they didn't want to make them seem like they worked for them or things like that so there's that problem yeah too. Well, and that's the thing. I'm sure there's a fine line you can walk where you don't need to require them to wear shirts, but like a lot of these guys and gals like wanted it or wanted to, or maybe you have a store where they can buy it or just kind of make that easier. You know, I mean, uh, the companies do it, right? It's like they give out swag. So I know it's definitely legal. Maybe there's some gray area or fine line, but you know, I, I think if, you know, you're getting paid a lot of money and you have a fancy MBA, I'm sure you could figure this one out. <laughs> totally. So... You know, I want to go back to something you said about marketplaces profession on the supply side, you know, drivers and hosts and owners professionalizing over time. What are some principles you learned? Like what makes like a really good professional, someone who's really good at renting, you know, on Outdoorsy, for example, like what are some of those principles that you learned that might apply to other marketplaces, you know, other people doing other jobs in other marketplaces? Yeah, I mean, I think overall the outcome is always like five-star review, right? That's like the the canonical scoring, right? Yeah. And so whatever happens to need to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I kind of think about this a lot in like the, the from a hotel perspective, like what makes a great hotel, right? It's consistent yeah. service that hits on all the points and, you know, like they're friendly, they're nice, they remember you, they personalize all of these things, right? Like that make you feel like, like yeah. really good inside. And so I think that's what comes back to like all of these things. These are all service businesses at the end of the day, right? Like, yes, there's an asset underlying it, but there's a service element because it's people. And like, I think Uber is a good example. It's like a one-to-one -one drive every time. And like, yeah, I don't necessarily want to talk to my Uber driver, but you do want to feel like it was a good experience. And that is like the clean car, they greeted you friendly. They helped you maybe with your bag or something like, you know, like it's a good service. Yeah. And end of the day, like that's what it is. So what is the number one thing that led to a five-star review for a host on Outdoorsy? Or what's the hmm. one thing that led to a negative review uh, also kind of conversely? I think the thing that always got people was like this whole like nitpicking over like the cleaning side of it or adding additional fees for like cleaning. Like, you know, like people that really like nitpicked all of those things was like, you had a great mm -hmm. trip and then you came back and they said X, Y, and Z things were wrong. And it's like, I just, you know, like that was not what I wanted to do. It's not like mm -hmm. the hotel calls you and says, yeah, you know, you didn't, this room's a mess. And that's the thing. That, that was always the thing for me that I always felt like set it up poorly, even for like an Airbnb, like leaves you a bad review. Like they didn't take out the trash and you're like, Man, like we paid enough. But I mean, like, typically you can't towels, leave. So. You can't leave a review. You can't leave a review until they've also left the review, right? So if you know the host charges you for extra cleaning and fees and all that, you can't then go and like leave them a bad review because they did that. What was like the thing that you know? Mm you know, hosts would be like, you know, oh, or a customer would say, hey, I'm leaving a bad review because of this. Like, what was the most common thing for outdoorsy customers yeah. to leave a negative review for? Like the RV for sure. wasn't clean enough when I got it, basically. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't meet my And you think that's because maybe it was like such a big vehicle or? I mean, I think there's like, you know, it's unique about RVs is one, there's like the dump tanks, which is like not super fun to talk about. There's a toilet mm -hmm. on it. So there's emptying the dump tanks. There's like filling up the gas, the water you know, all these things and then like the inside cleanliness of it. And so those are all the things that mm -hmm. at least on the supply side would be like, 
they would complain about, right? Because they're like all the things they have to solve to turn over for the next trip. And then on the demand side, right? You know, they don't want to get mm -hmm. an RV that falls apart, has broken pieces. You know, these things aren't yeah. built the best, you know, like that's just like a fact of the matter. And so they yeah. do have problems. And then if they're not clean, like it's like if you showed up at an Airbnb or hotel and it wasn't clean, you'd be like, this is awful. Or the beds suck. There's no pillows, things like that. Got it. Because I think the thing I've seen and sort of what we tell Uber drivers is the number one thing that actually leads to negative reviews is bad navigation, basically like not getting people sure. where they want to go in a kind of quick and efficient manner. So it's sort of funny. And if you think about it, you're like, wow, if I get into a car that looks like a total piece of shit, but the driver's great and he gets me there and he's friendly, you know, like that's, I probably would prefer that than like a really clean car where the driver takes me 10 minutes out of the way and makes wrong turns and is driving unsafe, maybe right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to die, <laughs> but I'm in a clean car. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's sort of interesting. Yeah. I think that component, right? Because you're trying to get somewhere, right? Makes that a little more meaningful versus with an RV, right? It's less about the destination and someone driving you and more about the experience, right? Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if I want to get, I mean, I want to be somewhere on time, but I don't necessarily want to get there faster. I don't know. I feel like there's a distinction there. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe not faster, but on time, yeah. but I do think like speed and efficiency in basically, you know, people transportation marketplaces is the yeah. most important to folks, right? Like Uber pool and Uber shared is a good example, right? Like everyone wants, you know, everyone's like, Oh yeah, I love taking shared rides. You know, it's cheaper. And, you know, and then when you get in the car and as a driver and when you, when they match with another rider, they're like, Oh, do you have to pick them up? I'm like, dude, you called an Uber share. Of course I got to pick them up. You know what I mean? So it's like people yeah. love the idea of paying less for a ride, but then when they actually have to sacrifice time, you know, to get to their destination, they're like, this sucks. Oh, you made a right turn. Oh, we're turning around. Like, oh gosh, the, get me out of here. Right. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think shared destination works really well. Uh, but otherwise, like, like you said, like, yeah, I would just pay for the individual one at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, one, one question specifically I wanted to ask you about marketplaces and rideshare gig economy is I get a lot of drivers and people reaching out to me that want to start a new rideshare company. I still get a lot of people yeah. pitching me on this. I actually have an embargo in my inbox right now. A new company is launching in eight days and they just send me a bunch of details. And so I need to review that. But uh, what, what are your thoughts? You think there's a good idea, a bad idea? You think there's still, you know, now we're 10 years into this Uber and Lyft are the big players. Do you think there's still room? for, for example, like a new rideshare company or is it too late? Yeah, I, I get this this question a lot, a lot from investors. And the, the framework that I think about this is there's like two types of marketplaces. There's a vertical marketplace. So like in an industry or specific vertical or horizontal, right? And Uber and Lyft are mm -hmm. largely horizontal at this point marketplaces across many different types. And so when you see something new come out, you have to ask, is this part, is this a vertical that Uber or Lyft horizontally hits today? F no, insufficiently mm -hmm. large potential opportunity. F, they already cover it today. What is the 10X better product experience they're gonna deliver? Because if they're not, like, I don't know how they're gonna compete, right? Because there's like huge economies of scale now for both these companies. Like, it's, like there's probably never gonna be that amount of capital allocated to, that that industry again to make it work right and i think that ship has sailed and so any company trying to get into that is going to be probably relatively underfunded and not be able to compete unless they're just driving some so much better product experience 
that mm -hmm. it's like you have to use it. And I, I don't know. I just haven't seen that personally. So I would say net so new vertical with explain GMB. Explain to me. Great. What, yeah. So explain to me real quick. What does horizontal versus vertical mean in this context? Yeah. So like horizontal marketplaces are across like many categories. So like take eBay, right? Mm -hmm. They go across all kinds of you know, baseball cards, cars, like they do everything, right? They're horizontal gotcha. in nature. Whereas there are marketplaces that do very specific things like Etsy is horizontal, more horizontal, but you know, they do like handmade goods, right? Like that's, that's their vertical. That's mm -hmm. what they go after. And so, and now there's many specific marketplaces that are going like after sneakers, StockX, ones that are going for trading cards, things like that. Mm -hmm. They're slicing off and cleaving off gotcha. huge verticals, but those have to be 10x mm -hmm. better experiences, right? They have to be better. They create unique liquidity, yeah. unique supply, better experience. They got to do something different to really work. Gotcha. So, so you're saying yeah. Uber and Lyft are sort of horizontal and that they have all these different product offerings and, you know, you can get a food delivered and you can get rides, you can schedule a ride, you can rent a car, all of that. They have all these different options. Yep. And I think within that, the question is, is, you know, we've, I think you and I both have looked at some together, like very industry specific, like either delivery service or some kind of usage of like fallow cars, right? And assets to like move things around. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is like, can DoorDash or Uber or someone already have like a generic solution that they expand into this? You know, like, do they have like more, do they have the flexibility to do that? Yeah. And that's the question. I think that's the bet you're making in those spaces is that they're not going there or they won't, their generalized solution won't be able to solve it because it's too complicated. Yeah. And I mean, I guess too, if you kind of slice off one of these verticals and it's too specific, it might be, you know, too small or, you know, maybe it's small and like a nice small mom and pop type business, but maybe it's not, you know, if you're looking for a venture backed huge return or exit, maybe it's not quite big enough. Exactly. I, I, I think that nails it. It's like, if you're going down the venture route, you just got to be careful that there's like sufficient GMV to produce gross profit over time to make it worthwhile, right? Like that's, like that's the key. So either you're making a new market how do you figure that out? or you, so the hardest part in all of this is understanding if you're going to make a new market or not, right? Like you, does your solution open up a market mm -hmm. that didn't exist before? And like Uber is a classic example, right? The taxi market, super small when they looked at it, right? It was big, but relatively small compared to what rideshare is today, right? And so that's what 10X better experiences mm -hmm. do, right? They unlock opportunity, but they also unlock fallow assets. Right. And like supply and by fallow, I mean, things that weren't being used, right? Like they, people had cars that had a bunch of downtime. Now you can have yeah. a driver with their car, go and use it. And so you unlocked this huge amount of like latent supply, um, which then could in turn solve for the demand that people want to move around in, in a more cheap fashion in urban areas. So that that's kind of like yeah. how I would like think about it is like, you know, is there opportunity to unlock a net new stair step function into a bigger market? And if not, then yeah. probably not interesting. Yeah, very cool. Well, I'm sure we could talk uh, marketplaces <laughs> and bet me bag on Uber for uh, and you know other other companies and ideas for much longer. But I think this was a great little intro, and you know appreciate you sharing everything about Outdoorsy. I feel like I should hire you. You know, if I have like a business, I'm like <laughs> I know you're a startup advisor. It's like wow, well, I'm sold. All right, if I was gonna be crazy and start a new company, you're you're the guy to talk to on all things vehicles, marketplaces. If folks want to learn more about what you're up to, where can they go? Where can they find more about what you're working on and the services you offer? Yeah, totally. So I'm on all the social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, at, at Colin Gardner. But I also run cardalabs.com, which is my uh, advising consulting business. And then my 
writing on marketplaces at uh, gardnercolin.com. So those are the best places to go to learn more and see what I'm writing and talking about. Cool. Awesome. Well, you know, I feel like we should almost just like transition into our next episode of Wannabe Angels right now, but I don't think <laughs> we have a guest lined up. So for those who haven't listened to Wannabe Angels yet, I'll let you tease it, but that's our new podcast that we've been doing for a while. How do you describe it when people ask you? I always tell people like, you know, Harry and I were out beating our heads trying to be angel investors and there was just really no good materials. And it was just us talking to people and the great people we found, we were like, ah, oh, these people are awesome. And there was no one sharing that. And so that was like what got us into it yeah. was, hey, A, we want to learn from great people. B, we want to share those people with other people because we think they want to listen to them. And it turns out they do, which is awesome. That's how I describe it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. No, it's been pretty fun doing the podcast with you so far. And I think someone asked me the other day, oh, how's your podcast with Colin? Want to be angels going? And I said, good. You know, we've been doing, I think we're up to 25 episodes now. And I mean, I guess if you do four, if we do one a week, that's almost six months of episodes. But I think we must have queued a bunch up at the beginning because I feel like we haven't been doing it for six months, but we basically have released six months of episodes. Yeah. We, I think we were a little like precocious at the beginning. We really wanted to talk to people. So now we're caught up to that. And, uh, <laughs> Doing a little bit more measured. Well, time flies. So I guess if if, if people want to hear Colin and I jam on startups and talk to investors every single week, they've got a good outlet for that. Wannabeangels.com. And it's on the podcast is available on all the major platforms and YouTube also. So Colin, appreciate you coming on. And I guess I'll talk to you tomorrow on Wannabe Angels. Yeah, thank you for having me and see you tomorrow. All right.